Welcome to the Bunkhouse Podcast, broadcasting from the confluence of outdoor recreation and nature connectivity. I'm your host, Josh Crumpton, founder of Spoke Hollow Outdoors and the Los Savaje Food Truck. My life as a rancher, guide, foodie, and conservationist has provided the opportunity to meet some really great people. And the Bunkhouse is where we get to introduce them to you. Today I'm joined by my co-host and one of my best pals, Davin Topol, Whiskey Tea, the pro drink slinger, distiller at large, and avid outdoorsman. In this episode, we're talking with our special guest, Mason Lively, about music, songwriting, and being in the outdoors. So let's get this thing started. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here, Spoke Hollow Outfitters and Spoke Hollow Ranch, is that what y'all call it? Spoke Hollow Ranch? Spoke Hollow Outdoors and Spoke, Spoke Hollow, Hollow Ranch. Outdoors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is, today was my second time upland hunting. First time upland hunting was with you guys out here, and it was a true pleasure. And so I just want to say thank you so much for taking me out, getting pheasants, quail, chuckers. That's, it's a blast. Man. I grew up hunting, but that was, that was truly a pleasure. So uh, needless to say, um, it's a true pleasure to be here, man. Honored to have you. Mason, you know, you're a musician. Yes, sir. Family man. Yes, sir. Talented hunter. <laughs> we saw that in the field today. Yeah. <laughs> After my uh, two two birds that I missed and eventually got got a couple, yeah. Yeah, you smoked that pheasant. <laughs> that pheasant went around like a whirly bird. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was it's great. a blast. Yeah, it, just, yeah. it was perfectly in my, my left view here, and I was like, all right, I got this one. And uh, my first rooster, my first uh, pheasant rooster, it's pretty cool. A cool yeah. experience. Yeah. Sure. Well, I love your music. Thank you. Man. So talented. Thank you. You know, and you're, how old are you? 25. Man. Crazy. <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the beginning of it all, man. Man, I, I, like, buddy of mine was, I was riding with a buddy of mine, y'all might know him, John, John Bauman, a uh, talented singer, songwriter. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you're in the middle of a co-write, like writing a song, like sometimes you'll share a Google doc and everything and you'll write the lyrics on it and everything like that. And I told him my email address and it has my um, birth date in it. My birth like year, 1997. And he was like, 1997. What's that? And I was like, it's the year I was born. He was like, God, man, I'm 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I started young, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You live in Kyle, Texas now, right? I do, yeah, yeah. Kyle, Butte area. But that's not where you grew up, right? No, I grew up in Victoria, Texas. Well, I grew up in a little town called Inez, Texas, just outside of Victoria. Population, maybe 1,900. Yeah, man, it's a trip going from that to... I lived in Austin for about a year and a half. Moved to San Marcos after high school, so before I lived in Austin. It's a little bit of a culture shock going from a town like that to, to Austin, the big music, live music <laughs> capital of the world, you know? Yeah. What was Vic, what was Inez actually like growing up? You know, tell us a little bit about that growing up out there. That's that's way out in the middle of nowhere, by yeah. the way. Yeah, it was one of those towns where you just like my 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 dad was a custom home builder and um he, you know, he had work some years and some years he didn't. It was very like off and on, so it we just never knew how you know, how good we were going to have it that year, you know, and you know, I, I love my dad. I love the family that I grew up in, but it was just, it was an experience that like now that I run into people that grew up in cities and everything like that, you can tell the difference between 
people that grew up, you know, in Austin or San Antonio or Dallas, Fort Worth and from where I grew up, you know, and it's different, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of it. And I still have a lot of close relationship relationships with my friends that are still there or, you know, moved on that grew up there as well. And it's just a, uh, it's a different experience, but there's, the more you grow up and the more you become an adult, there's like a, a pride that comes with coming from somewhere like that where, you know, it's nothing but County roads and post office, dollar general convenience store, schools, churches, and that's about it. You know, did everybody know each other there? Did, yeah, it's definitely one of those, you know, I, I still get filled in on the gossip back home. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you didn't get away with much as a kid. No. Yeah. Everybody knew my, my parents and you know, everybody knew each other. So if we were, we were out driving around, you know, maybe having a beer or two, you know, people knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Recognize you and say, hey. It yeah, yeah, exactly. They'd be like, hey, you know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I grew up in a small town in Colorado. Where'd you grow up? In Telluride, Colorado. Telluride, okay, yeah. 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 And it was a similar thing. It was like everybody knew everything they grew up to. Yeah. But I was pretty excited to get out of there. Yeah. And move to the city. Man, I played a couple festivals in Colorado. One was in Montrose, Colorado. Montrose. Yeah, Mont- uh, it's right around Montrose. the corner. From how, yeah. do you, how do you pronounce it, Josh? Well, Montrose, if you're like, Montrose. if you're an old, okay. like, farmer. Because that was like a farm community. Mm-hmm. Sure. Total, like, just cowboys. And when I was in Telluride, those guys would come to play basketball against us. And there was, like, always a fight. <laughs> it was, like, the cowboys and the hippies. Like, yeah. Telluride was full of hippies. You know, we were, like, small town, but hippie town. Uh-huh. And Montrose was pretty small town mm-hmm. those guys from Montrose would come up there and they'd be like you hippies with your long hair and then it got a little reckless and rowdy <laughs> and it was beautiful when we played up there you know playing only in Texas and Oklahoma at that point we did like a, a loop through you know we played a show and um what was it I think it was Alamogordo New Mexico yep. Mm-hmm. and then we looped around to, to the Montrose area and we played a festival there and that was just one of the most beautiful stages that I ever played on. Cause you see the mountain range right there in front of you, you know, it was like for a little festival or something like that. It was cool, man. Music's taken me in a lot of like beautiful places. And that's kind of one of those that are one of those just areas from the stage where you're outside and you see the natural beauty of just, you know, this beautiful country with so many diverse different landscapes that I'm super proud. Like, Hey, I got to do that. You How know? long ago was that? That was in 2019, I believe. Okay. I had food poisoning on that trip. <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah, I got food poisoning in um, in Alamogordo, I think. And um, yeah, so that trip, I was sick as a dog, but I'm like, show must go on. Did you yeah. eat the chicken salad? I think it was uh, the potato salad. Yep, that was it. Potato, potato salad. salad. You never yep. just don't high eat mountain the potato, potato salad. salad. Yeah. yeah, don't eat the chicken salad. Don't eat the potato salad. That was it. I still haven't eaten potato salad to this day. I'm hard line on that. So you guys ever remember, we've got like the dogs barking out there. They're tearing up something. Part of it. It's yeah, the, it it's is. the ranch, man. It is part of the ranch. You know, um, do, do you guys remember that song, uh, the Kenny Rogers song? I can't remember the name of the song. Uh, Lucille. Mm-hmm. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Yeah, I just got that's, that album on vinyl, by the way. So I'm pretty stoked about album. that. Yeah. What's the next line in that? Four hundred children in a crop in a field. That's what I yeah. said. Four hundred children. <laughs> is that that's not what, what it is? No, I think it's it's actually four hungry children. But <laughs> oh, I thought four hundred children in a crop in the field. My entire life, 
It was like the Smurfs. Yeah. He, he was like mm-hmm. Papa Smurf. <laughs> is that really right. not what it is? That would make I'm, sense. I never thought I'd be a victim to one of the like lyrics that are commonly, you know, misconstrued or whatever. Like I always thought like, no, nah, I'm good. I got it on lyrics, no. but I thought it was 400 children. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. 400 children. And that's four kind of like Four hungry children. Four hungry children. Yeah. Four, yeah, four hungry I don't know. Children. I just thought it was like a, you know, a play on how many children this family's got, you know, with the crops in the field that's and all that. a lot of children. <laughs> it's like half of Inez. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? I knew people with 400 children. Anyways. Before maybe, it's, get, maybe it's King Geek's <laughs> Before you know? we get too deep into uh, talking about the outdoors and family and music, uh, we're drinking... Some magic elixir here. My ice is melted because I've been drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Davin, yeah. Let's yeah, talk no. about this beverage that you whipped up for us. So what uh, what we made today was a rusty nail. Blended scotch with drambuie. It's a very simple cocktail. Just two ingredients. Blended scotch cocktail. You can mix them half and half or, you know, equal parts. But what we're drinking tonight is uh, two parts scotch, one part drambuie. Just kind of lets that scotch kind of shine out a little bit more. What's the history of this drink? Do you know the history? Of the history drink? of this drink. All I know is it, it dates back pretty far. It's post post prohibition when alcohol was starting to come back. Nineteen thirty five is is what what it's uh, about the year that it started to show up in hotels and things like that. But then it went away for a long time. And so now I'm bringing it back. Bringing back the bringing rusty back. nail. Well, it's yeah. really good. Yeah, no, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and you can go over to the YouTube. It's channel. an oldie, yeah. It's an oldie, but a classic. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to learn to make it, you can go to the YouTube channel. That's right. He's, give, he's giving his secrets away. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, secret ingredient. <laughs> uh-huh. If you want to see my smiling face actually make it, yeah. Go to the YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. It'll be worth it. So let's talk about Victoria, the coastal plains of Texas. Yeah. Your youth. Take us through how a little bit of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, man. So um, I guess we can honestly start at my grandpa. He was a he's a cowboy man. He he he's seventy five now, seventy six. He grew up in the era of the cowboy and hippie kind of coalition era. I feel like he was a home builder himself. My parents bought his business actually and continued to build homes and everything, but. For that, he bought this ranch in Cuero, Texas, kind of outside of Cuero. Home of the Chupacabra. Yeah, home of the mm-hmm. Chupacabra. You seen it? I have not seen the Chupacabra. It's pretty wild. Chupacabras but, are real or in DeWitt County, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it's like the Fighting Gobblers is the name. Yeah, of the it. Fighting Gobblers is yeah. it's the high school there. Yeah. And um, my earliest hunting and just exploring a, a vast just ranch and everything was the earliest memories of that were on his land. He would take me, like, I learned how to shoot guns out there. You know, I grew up in the country, too, but, like, my grandpa was kind of, like, when we'd go and hang out with him for the weekend or whatever, like, like we were almost too young to shoot, be shooting guns, but he'd still just put a gun in our hands and be, like, he'd fill up, like, old coffee cans with water yeah. and be, like, just shoot him, like, target practice, you know? You got to learn how to do this. So we would do that, and then eventually when I was about 11 or 12, maybe, I shot my first deer out there. I just fell in love with it, man. I fell in love with sitting in the blind with your rifle and your grandpa and your coffee and everything like that. I wasn't drinking coffee at that point, but uh, just smelling his coffee from his, his thermos and everything like that. Just the memories of it and just the, the everything from the smells to the, the sights and seeing where the field was. It, it's just so ingrained in my mind to where I remember that first shot I took and 
it was just beautiful, man. I I still think about it to this day every year. I I try and get at least a deer, you know, and it, whether it's out there or my parents' place, um, out in Inez. And growing up, I I would you know get a deer off the even just the back porch of my parents' place. Honestly, like huh. I do the whole like the bow hunting and everything like that too. But I'd also just sometimes the deer would just walk out in the field. And, you know, you got to take advantage of that. That's country life. That's country life, man. And that's that's just how I grew up. That was kind of my first hunting experience. You know, growing up with my dad on our land in, in Inez, we had about 15 acres. So it was just perfect. It backed up to a creek. Perfect for deer hunting. You know, he showed me how to set up a bow stand, hunting blind, just like a pop-up blind and everything like that. And it was, you know, all kind of combining into my experience as a hunter and even still living in, you know, a town off of I-35, one of the busiest growing towns in the state of Texas. I still just, I'm always itching to hunt and to go out there with them or go out with buddies or whatever and and still get deer, get dove. And and now thanks to you, you know, upland hunt and stuff like that. I saw you shot a deer. Yeah. This past Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving week is always like that magical week because we're there for four or five days down in Inez. I'm going out to the pop-up blind, really hoping there's a deer and everything like that. You know, dad's been throwing out corn and stuff like that. And sometimes last year, I wasn't as lucky. This year I was. Got a good eight point and uh, happy about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad, when was your first deer? My first deer was, uh, <laughs> it was actually here in Texas uh, about nine years ago. I had the experience of shooting my first deer King Ranch, <clears throat> Wow! believe it or not. Uh, yeah, we uh, we had the opportunity to go to the ranch uh, via IBC Bank. My father-in-law was uh, friends with the uh, owner of IBC Bank, and it was a it was a completely different experience than what I had expected. I you know originally I I had gone deer hunting in Minnesota before. We what's were that, we were that stalking thing in Minnesota. That thing? Yeah, that thing, that song. That thing, the song. song. is with deer hunting. It's about oh, a Oh, the, the, did you see the turdy pointer? <laughs> the turdy point I never buck? did see the turdy point buck. Turdy point buck. Did <laughs> yeah, you get a, a, a turdy point buck? It's not necessarily <laughs> a song as it is like a limerick. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. The turdy point buck? The turdy point buck. Oh, yeah, later. you'll have to look it, <laughs> look it up. It's, it's Yeah, it's, it's a thing, it apparently. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I had grown up stalking deer in uh, Minnesota, but it was only a couple of times, never came across them. And then moved to Texas. We went to King Ranch. We basically took a truck down with a feeder and they spun the feeder and the deer would show up and you would point them out and like, which one do you want? And I was just kind of looking around like, wow, what what is going on? Like you just pick out your deer. Yeah, which one do you want? You know, that one's got... Eight points. That one's got ten points. I'd take the ten point. <laughs> I'd take the thirty point. <laughs> I'd take the thirty pointer if I had a chat. If I had a choice, a thirty pointer never did show up. Okay, <laughs> oofta. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was my first deer experience. Was picking out the deer and uh, having the guide say, you know, all right, just line your, put your shotgun up on the yeah. rear view mirror. Shotgun. <laughs> the rear view mirror. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and uh, go ahead and fire away. <laughs> well, I had a rifle. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, how about if I just kind of, act like, try to walk up on it? Like, okay, go ahead. 
So I walked up on it, took my eight pointer and, uh, yeah, walked away with, uh, a lot of great meat, uh, and a really neat experience, you know, yeah. and it, and it, it is, it's, it's a Texas, Texas experience. You know, mm-hmm. you, you shoot a deer at King ranch and this is what's normal in these circumstances with these, you know, folks that you're out there with. And it was, it, it was something that I walked away with, with still pride, you know, but at the same time, I still want to go out and, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I like to stalk. I'd rather get mm-hmm. get out there and do the thing. And you you had mentioned that you do uh, you do bow hunting. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole other feeling, you know, when you're when you're getting that much closer to the deer and having that experience and yeah, still need to yeah. still need to you, live that. So it's, what's, di- it's different from being in like the you know the bow blind and everything too. But mm-hmm. um, you know, there are some experiences that I still really want to live out, like going up to Colorado or Montana or something like that. And, legit stalking a, like an elk or something like that. Like that looks like a oh, freaking yeah. blast. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. hunting. It's it's really kind of weird. This is like, this actually yeah. is a good like drop into a pretty good conversation that goes on, I think, at a national level. I would love to get your guys' take on this. So I've, I've got my own take on this. You know, I got a lot of friends who hunt out west, and it's a lot of spot and stalk. There's no feeders, obviously. I mean, we got two, we got a Texan and a Texas Soden. You're a Texan now. I mean, you're you're a Texas distiller. Texutan, you're a Texas distiller, buddy. Like you, you, make, you make moonshine in Texas, so like you're Texan all the way. But you know, and we both, we guys have both talked about like country shooting a deer off the back porch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we talked about shooting a deer over feeder, and that is a thing we do here in Texas. We mm-hmm. shoot deer over feeders, and so I talk to my friends up north a lot about that, and they're like, "Well, that's not hunting," and. I kind of look at them and I say, well, you're thinking about this through a rifle scope lens only. And you're thinking about this as like hunting as being this thing where you got to work real hard. You got to stalk this deer. And in Texas, I think one of the things people don't understand is we have a lot of fucking deer. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's a lot of deer here. Yeah. I mean, and when you look at places like the hill country, we actually want to manage the populations to get to a healthy level of deer. You can't spot and stalk these deer all over the place. Deer hunting is not easy either. It really isn't. Like it, it, it's easy in the sense of like when you think about how everything is placed. It sounds like everything is placed in the right. But who Just, places it? Yeah, exactly. you still have to work. You still have to do the thing. Yeah, and, and it, it seems takes like everything's placed right. But right. I, I mean, deer are much more. You know, they're smarter than we give them credit for, and they're not as habitual as you would like to think because uh, you know we've tracked deer on game cameras and they just you never know when they're going to show up when they're going to be there and so yeah it's it's obviously it's not as hard as doing something like hunting out west in the mountains or whatever like that that's obviously a whole nother level and that's something that i'd like to get to i think that's something that everybody should experience but it it's just it's not as easy or as just like clean cake cut as putting corn out there, always expecting deer to show up. They're always going to be there. You pop one, you know. There's there's strategy involved in that too, and seeing what the trails are and everything like that. Yeah, I've heard a lot of this too, so I'm just ranting at this. Yeah, point. yeah no, I mean, yeah. well, here's the thing: is like there is a lot that goes into what what I call so what I call what we do here on the ranch is it's it's land management. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily hunting. Um, there is a certain level of skill that goes into it, no doubt. And there's a certain level of challenge. But 
it's nowhere as challenging as my friends who live out in Los Angeles, you know, who go and chase elk out there or yeah. go and chase deer out there. But, but the thing about it is the goal or like the objective on this ranch is to lower the amount of hooves and mouths to create a better carrying capacity to animal ratio. And because in the Texas Hill Country, we have 4.2 million people and about 3.7 million deer. Mm-hmm. So there's like almost a deer for everybody. Like Oprah Winfrey could come down here and be like, you got a deer, you get a deer, and you get a deer. Everybody gets a deer around here. You know, and if we didn't hunt them with feeders, we could never even begin to keep up with a population that's already out of control. Yeah. In fact, you know, TPWD has been talking about expanding the doe season and like really like pushing it out further. Just really? because, yeah, because we are incredibly overpopulated. And what happens is as the deer browse and overbrowse the land, it causes an imbalance. And as the deer is these, I mean, so let's think about this, 3.6 million deer. Where do they live? We built cities. We built roads. We built all these things. So all these deer are getting pushed into smaller and smaller areas. And the more we build, the smaller the areas they get pushed into. And that means that they're hammering these pristine wild areas. And so that's one of the things that I tell my friends up north. I'm like, look, you're not thinking about what we're dealing with here. You're treating our situation as if it's like your situation where finding a deer in your part of the world is really tough. Finding the deer in our part of the world is stepping off your back porch. Yeah. <laughs> like, there right. they are. Yeah. So, you know, deer hunting is not necessarily at the end of the day about, and this is where I think people get caught up in a lot of things in life even they get caught up in this whole idea that the deer hunting is about the challenge for them. Like it becomes this so focused on me. Did I, what did I prove about who I am? Mm-hmm. When actually deer hunting is about providing food and it's about managing the land. Yeah. And when you look at it through that lens, then the acceptable practices of how to do it broadens a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. All I know is, you know, my wife's happy as hell when I come home and I got, <laughs> it's all got, that matters. Got some deer meat that we processed right. from back home in Inez and I'm like, Hey, here we go. We've got, and she likes, she likes the taste of venison. Yeah. I mean, we loves, got yeah. hamburger meat for a whole, right. you know, six months or right. whatever. Well, know? and you had a kind of a special deer experience this year, right? I'm yeah. Sure you guys yeah. This year. Um, so just where I'm at this year, um, we got married last year and we are expecting a baby. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Wow. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, yeah, and, and and my wife did not grow up in a hunting family very much. Uh, she grew up in New Braunfels, which is smaller city, you know. She met me being on the road playing music and stuff like that from Olinus, Texas. And I'm like, hey, you know, I love hunting. I love, you know, this is what I grew up doing. So you, I, I want to keep doing this stuff. And of course she's extremely supportive. It's like, yeah, you know, you're, she doesn't understand it. She's like, yeah, go ahead. And, um, when it comes to going back home and, and getting a deer or something like that, you know, or dove hunting or whatever, she really loves it. When I come home with a freezer full of, <laughs> of meat and <laughs> I go, here we go. We don't have to buy a uh, hamburger meat from HB or anything like that. You know, we got it. <laughs> nice. And this year was a little extra special because, Usually, traditionally, what we would do, like my dad and I, if we, if I get a deer, or if one of my brothers did, or if he did, they would ground the meat and do like hamburger meat with that meat, and then take some of the meat to get processed into sausage. But this year, my dad kind of missed me a little extra, I guess, <laughs> just to miss hunting with his sons, whatever. So 
when I came home, it was much more of like a like a deal where he was like, listen, we're going to process everything, including the sausage, you know, let's get casings. Let's get the, the funnels that we need for the grinder and everything like that. And after I got that deer, we met out with a ton of sausage, a ton of ground meat. It, it was just a special different experience to literally do everything from farm to table, which is a expression that's used a lot. But it's really true when you see it happen. You know, you get the deer, you process it. I processed it myself, cut it, you know, gutted it and everything like that. Got the meat off of it and grinded it, put it in the sausage, put it in the ground meat. So that was kind of a first for us this year, and it was a really cool experience. It was a super cool experience. Yeah. Your, did your wife notice about it? What, yeah. What did she have to say? I yeah, mean, she's like, just like, this is cool, you know? Like, I, I kind of strolled in with a mountain man vibe, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, I'm, I'm sure it tasted better, too. It, yeah. It just comes down to, like, everything tastes better when you cook it, or it, not just cook it, but when you actually process it yourself, like... Yeah, it may not be professional or some done by somebody who's been doing it for fifty years, but it somehow tastes better because you did it. Yeah. You and your dad and somebody in your family did it together. Yeah, you, my my dad has like a secret ingredient when it comes to seasoning. It's yeah. probably just like salt and like <laughs> it's probably like three seasonings, but still, it just right. makes that much more special when you have the tub full of meat that you just cut off the deer. You know, in this experience of a lifetime of just going back out in the quiet of the country in the woods and getting that deer. And, you know, he throws the seasoning in there and everything just... It's called love. Yeah, it's love. The seasoning, the, the, the special seasoning ingredient is, is love. The special <laughs> ingredient, no matter what it is, and it could be just, yeah, one thing. Yeah. That's all it is, is. It's love, and it it does. It makes everything taste better. And, well, it, and, taste, and it tastes great. Yeah. It's connectivity. Yeah. Like, you killed the animal. Yeah. You gutted the animal. You cleaned the animal butchered the animal you turn the animal into a new product whether it's hamburger meat or sausage and then you cook the animal yeah and there's a deep level of connectivity that draws you back to finding your place i think in the predator web yeah that i i think that it's it's something to be proud of reclaiming that connection yeah one that quite honestly i think society we've tried to push that away mm-hmm. we've tried to push ourselves as far away from the fact that we're predators as possible. And so I think it's pretty amazing that you get to reclaim that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a circle of life like no other, really. I mean, it's cliche, but it's true, you know. Well, it's something that only only people who hunt really understand. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you have to do it. You don't have to do it every year. You don't have to do it all the time. But you have to do it once Yeah. to understand that. And I think it forever changes your perspective of food once you've yeah. done that once, you know? So I didn't grow up with anybody, you know, teaching me how to hunt or taking me how to hunt. So it was until my thirties really? when I understood that sense of connectivity and it, it changed everything. You know, I'm just happy every day I get to do it. Yeah. But you hunt your family, man grew up in the country, but your primary, your primary thing that you do is music. Right? <laughs> slinging, yeah. slinging a guitar yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that that found its way also i guess everybody in my family had kind of a taste a great taste in music um that same grandpa that taught me how to hunt also had vinyl records of willie nelson ray price conway twitty merle haggard 
classics. And I, I still, even on Spotify on my phone, I'll dive into those same albums that I fell in love with country music on, you know? So it's literally what it was. It was like hunting during the day. He had horses. We'd ride horses and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, he put on a record. And, and a lot of times it was Willie Nelson, Redheaded Stranger, or Last of the Breed, which is the album that Willie, Ray Price, and Merle Haggard did together. Um, Excellent album. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a great record. And, you know, I, I just remember those memories so purely and fall in love with that kind of music, the music that really nobody else my age, being, you know, 12 years old or whatever, really loved, and, and I just really did. By the time I was about 14, I learned how to play guitar. I wanted to play guitar because I loved music, and I wanted to kind of explore that calling that I had and everything. Yeah, so as far as the first few music, just the first few records that really hooked me, those were them, you know? And then same time, my grandma, my grandpa and grandpa were divorced. My grandma had very best of the Eagles, very best of the of, of Elvis and stuff like that. So I just dove into those two. You know, she had like Ray Charles, some soul records, oh, yeah. you know, so a little, some blues records. A little bit of that was kind of thrown in there, too. She had some Willie as well. My dad loved everything, you know, being in the back of my dad's truck really kind of introduced me to the whole Texas music scene because live number two by Robert O'Keen must have been stuck in his CD player because that's what was always going. <laughs> so I heard, you know, road goes on forever and, and all those tunes over and over again, you know, be, being in the back of my dad's truck. And uh, yeah, so music always played a big part of my life and, and it was a true soundtrack of, of my upbringing because obviously I clinged onto it a little more than, than maybe my, like, you know, anybody else in the family that, loved music did because I was the first in my family to explore music and to really want to go into it. So yeah, that was a really cool experience. When did you know you, when did you know you were going to be a musician, professional musician? When did you know that's what you as soon as I started writing songs, which was around 15, I was like, Oh, this is it, man. I, I want to do this a hundred percent. Like I want to dive in. Um, I wasn't super great at school. So <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, all my heroes are, are on tape, you know, so to say, or, or, you know, on my iPod or on CDs. And was it tape back then? I was going to say. No, no, no. no, no. I, I didn't listen to tape. More <laughs> of a figure of speech to make myself sound older, but. Uh, <laughs> no. They originally was recorded it on tape. Yeah, it was on it the was... first iPod and CDs. And so once I started writing and, and I figured I had kind of a decent voice when I was learning to play guitar, I kind of told myself this was it, you know. This is what I wanted to do. And the more, if it hadn't been for my parents, it probably wouldn't have been a thing because they were super supportive from the get-go. My dad literally booked me shows when I was about 16, 16, 17, in bars. I would have to go in with my dad into these bars in Victoria or Goliad or, you know, surrounding towns and and play shows, just me and my guitar. I, I wouldn't trade that for the world because that's, that's, badass, that's how I... Kind of just yeah, having that support yeah to the to the fact that my father will bring me into yeah. a twenty one plus. I mean, he he believes in me that much. Yeah, like that as a you know as an underage person, like that's gonna mean a lot. Yeah, like, as somebody who has <laughs> very low self confidence and no, as we all were at that age. Yeah, yeah. and just no really clear cut goals in anything outside this one thing. That's that's what I had and. 
And that built me up to eventually move to, I moved to San Marcos because I wanted to live in Austin, but Austin was too expensive for like an 18 year old who was paying his own way. So yeah. moved to San Marcos. Where was your first show? You remember? My first show, Moonshine Drinker in Victoria, Texas, the little bar still there, downtown Victoria. That was my first show. And I had like a residency there. What'd you um, play? Do you remember what I played playing? like a few originals and mostly covers everything from Willie to Merle, those guys to, of course, like George Strait, Alan Jackson. I dive into like some John Mayer, some Jack Johnson, you know, I'd throw in some singer songwriter stuff, you know, how long was your show there? Two couple hours. Well, probably. Yeah. It's, it's long. It's yeah. a long set. I probably talk a little bit in between the songs, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what'd yeah. you talk about? So here you are, your life, life experiences. What, no idea. Yeah. I mean, like I have a paper due, you know, something like that. Yeah. 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 But so 12, 14, 15, 18, San Marcos. 18 is when I moved to San Marcos. I moved with, uh, a buddy of mine named Carson Pope, who's still my guitar player, I would play guitar with him in like our garages back home. And he was going to Texas State. I was taking classes at Texas State. I didn't finish. He did. Uh, <laughs> we <laughs> decided to just, you know, form a band. So we got a drummer from uh, an acoustic show that we played. We got a bass player from Craigslist. Uh, <laughs> we formed a band. <laughs> And we were on fire, man. I had 10 songs. That was enough, 10 good enough songs that I thought were good enough to put on an album. I reached out to um, my friend now, Pat Mansky, who owns a recording studio just down the road here between Dripping Springs and Wimberley. And not associated with the Mansky logo, is it? No, probably not. It's uh, the, zoo, the studio is called The Zone Studios. And uh, it's where like Ray Wiley Hubbard and Robert okay. Elkeen record and guys sure. like that. So it's pretty legit. I felt like a badass walking in. I don't there. know who oh, yeah. any of those guys are. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Ray Willie Hubbard. Ray Willie Hubbard. Mm. <laughs> so, needless to say, I felt pretty cool walking in there. Yeah, um, hell yeah. And recording my first album, and it's still out everywhere. We put it out, and eventually after we put it out, we had booking agents and managers reaching out, and everything like that. And was that when you were eighteen? I was about to turn, I was around, I was turning 20 at the time. You've been okay. in San Marcos, were you still in San Marcos? A yeah, of years? It was, I was in San Marcos for a couple of years, um, just, you know, screwing off, writing songs, taking classes, forming this band, you know, just trying to, trying to chase this dream. And then from 20 to now, it was just pedal to the metal. Yeah. 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 That's it was cool. Did open. you meet your wife in San Marcos? I met her. So a friend of mine, who is a musician, had a guitar player who was dating her best friend. And it was like, it's a very long, like drawn out thing, but she was going to some of the shows that I was playing with this friend of a friend artist. Um, and that's how I met her. So, you know, that's I guess definitely music. shifting gear before, before we shift gears into that, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ask you if you could pick a song from previous time period and play us a song from that San Marcos, that band that from 18. From my first album? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Sure. Right on. Let's do it. And I'm going to pour myself a little bit of Tavins. Straight malt whiskey here. May as well pour a few. I don't know where I have to be on the mic, but I'm going to back it up a little bit for vocals. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll confer with... 
videos that are off the camera. With production here? Yeah. With the Ben Lou, Matthew Hartman, Sia. The men behind the scenes. The true rock stars. This is, right? <laughs> so I'm going to play uh, a song I wrote in a buddy of mine's garage, who is also a hunter. His name is Garrett Sparkman. Um, I wrote it in his garage in Inez, Texas, when I was home from one of our San Marcos days, who I also lived with with my guitar player. After I wrote it, he was like, dude, you gotta record that. <laughs> he knew I was recording an album. He's like, bro, this is a song you gotta do. And it was a, it's about being on the road and stuff, and I had barely been on the... I'd been playing, like, acoustic shows around either St. Marcus or Victoria. That's it. But, uh... It was a small road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a small it road. road for you. It was still me, the man, road. It was the road. It White was lines, yellow was, lines. Yeah, exactly. We good? Cool. told that this here road is where the whiskey flows and the good times are old. I was known to know when my seeds are sown and I never let the devil steal my soul. But lately I've been running high and running low. Seems just like there's nowhere else to go. I'm a gray man like a greyhound bus I'll be bound for somewhere else I can't go home I may be hellbound on this highway But baby, my way ain't the way that this world goes It either praises me or it stands opposed Ain't this the way that life told me to go so I let this road take its heavy toll. I was told that this here road could take the soul of a decent man and turn a mask cold. The white lines get you high, and the cries from a crowd could keep a man from feeling alone. But temptation lurks in every town So boy, you best just keep that hammer down Don't think you're invincible At any point this life you turn around I may be hellbound on this highway But baby, my way ain't the way that this world goes Either praises me or it stands opposed Ain't this the way the life told me to go I'll let this road take it to heavy toll I just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you.
Thank you for showing me where I belong I know you're trying to test me, Lord But I won't let the devil tag along No matter how hard it gets to carry on I may be hellbound on this highway But baby, my way ain't the way that this world goes It either praises me or it stands opposed Ain't this the way the life told me to go So I'll let this roll take it to heavy toll Thank you, thank you. Hopefully the mic caught all that. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I think we should just quit now. Yeah, let's <laughs> podcast are we need be, to take a break. You know, <laughs> I think that you may have Thanks, you guys. <laughs> like consumed the soul of a much older human being. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> when did you write that whole read? It's like 20. Yeah, you can sing the soul of an older human being. At what point and how much did you have to sign when you signed your soul away? You know, what was the deal? What was the deal? (laughs) No, man, I just, and I got a lot of people asking me, like, what the hell are you writing about, man? Like, what, what's going on? You, you know, you're so young. And it's just like, I loved music so much. It's like, whether I lived those experiences or not, it's like, it's the only way that I can really express how I feel you know there's no other way to do it but than doing what I know how to do you know and and it didn't have to be that deep it's just like I think this is cool you know that's how I still write today like I'll write about stuff that I have not gone through or like just things that are way out my comfort zone even like this sounds cool that's my number one thing with music like if it's cool if it's not hokey if it's not even if it's not what the mainstream country radio is is playing, you know, I just want to do what sounds cool. What would have sounded cool to me when I was that kid learning how to play guitar and diving into things that I thought were cool because it was all over the spectrum. It was as as he as I explained earlier, it was it was country, it was soul, it was blues, it, it was it was everything. And you're gonna you're gonna experience those things eventually down the line yeah and you've experienced I've, I've lived a lot of it after i've wrote it yeah exactly sure. <laughs> and that's the thing is like at 20 like you're writing like a 40 year old yeah that it, but the thing is is like you know that these things are coming it's yeah. almost as if you're pre pre yeah you're 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 seeing the future before it actually happens and it's it's all right there. You're like, deep thinking. Yeah. You're I understood how to say things, music. yeah, in music form, you know. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I mean, Thanks, it's man. very amazing. All I got is a shotgun and some bow guns. Hey, it, this, is my, this is my only talent, <laughs> it's man. It's nowhere so. near as poetic <laughs> as that. So your next phase from here, let's kind of like, let's, let's go. Like, where where did your musical journey go we talked a little about meeting your wife so is that is that kind of a next phase from here like yeah man i mean i got a baby boy due here pretty soon um now we're jumping way far now we're like now yeah man now Now we're here man Uh, 
you know, I've always wanted to be a father. That's kind of been one of my main goals in life, even before music, you know, it's just like there was something just very, there's even something poetic about that, you know, and y'all know, I mean, it's just like, there's something there that really cements you into being in just an adult man, you know, and, and a human. Yeah. It just a human being, you as man. a human. Like yeah. having more humans sort of like completes like the, the path. And I'm going to give you a piece of advice. I give all my kids. This Please do. Cause I'm I, taking all of it. I have five <laughs> children. Yeah, I'm going to definitely take your advice. (laughs) So what I tell everybody is people tell you, find the thing you're good at in life and keep doing it. If it's having kids, don't do that. (laughs) Stop at five. Stop at three. Yeah. Three is good. Two, maybe? No, no, no. My wife's Stop at five. That's your, yeah, yeah. You're five. I tell the last two, I'm like, you know what? (laughs) Because, you know, the other two are going to hear this and be like, well, Three. they know. They know that they were just that's just indulgence. I was just being indulgent. Yeah, sure, my sure. wife's more in the more in the five phase. I'm more in the three phase. So yeah. you know, we talked about that. She wants to have a big family. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, I'm fine with whatever awesome. size family we have. Yeah. In the in, at the end of the day, and obviously, I want to take all those kids hunting. You know, yeah. boys or girls, get them outside. Yeah, get them outdoors. I want to give them a blend of the life I had mixed with the life she had. You know, it's just uh it's it's a very like nuanced thing when you really sit and kind of think about being a parent and um I will definitely be, you know, hitting up for advice and stuff. It's a uh, it's something special that I that I really can't wait for. We were talking earlier about being on the road. Mm-hmm. Kind of we're going to loop back around into hunting and the community of hunters and you know, you've traveled around now. You've played. I mean, talk to us about like so we just talked about this little short circuit. We also refer, you know, talked about you playing in Montrose and yeah. other areas. So since that little, since writing that song and that being on yeah. the road, the road has changed significantly to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, where have you gone? Who have you played with? What are some of the highlights? For Man, you? I started out my career having the pleasure to play for guys like Randy Rogers Band and, and Parker McCollum when he was coming up. And, you know, Wade Bowen was the first guy that introduced me to co-writing and writing with, career songwriters in Nashville and, and taking trips up there. So it's a blessing to be able to name drop like that and, and have those guys kind of be in your corner and everything. Mentor. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really help you out and everything, you know, and, and then everything from like guys like Josh Turner to Tracy Lawrence, I've been on the road with huge names and it's really cool to be able to grasp fans from, from those audiences as the opening band and everything like that. Being on the road, as far as that goes, it's, it can be tough, but it's so rewarding at the end of the day. And you meet all walks of life. I'm in a ba- I'm in my band. I'm in a band with people that think differently than me, that, uh, you know, grew up differently than me. Of course, when you broaden that horizon and you meet other, you know, people that become your friends that play in other bands or just they're involved in the music scene, it's, it's pretty wild to see what a diverse culture music is and how just music in general and good music brings so many different types of people together. Rather, you can tie that back to hunting too, rather you're someone like me that grew up in a small town that hunted and, and and did everything like to people who never shot a gun before and don't really get that. You're friends with those people at the end of the day. And it's just, it's a, it's a pretty cool experience. It is. You were talking earlier about like being on the road and meeting up with people who also deer hunt or, you know, experience that and how that provided a, kind of level of connectivity you want to talk a little bit about yeah it's that? a different level of familiarity with that artist or songwriter or just 
guy that plays in the band, you know, when it's somebody that did grow up like you that that hunt they they grew up hunting or hunts or you know, at least knows what that respect is when it comes to, you know, holding a, a rifle or a shotgun or a bow. It's just so much more of a different wall that's been broken to be like, okay, you're like me. Not that a musician that did not grow up like that isn't like me, you know, it's, sure. it's, there's, yeah, the music is the bond, you know, but yeah. there is even more thorough wall that's been broken to where you're like, okay, this guy shares a similar story that I do, you know. Well, and look, I want to ask you, could you even say that you push us a little further than that? Because the act of hunting is, it's just a thing that yeah. you do in the outdoors. It's a conduit that yeah. connects us to nature. Yeah. It takes us a little bit more aside from the constructs of man, from the triple stacked highways that we build in our cities and yeah. you know, the slushy marts and the Walmarts and the malls and the whatever, all of those things. I feel like when you're a hunter, you put a premium of value on getting away from the things that man has made. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's kind of that that's the connection? It's not just the hunting. It's like the idea that this yeah. is somebody who values nature on a different level. It's the level. stillness. It's the, it's the quietness. It's the just being outdoors. And even when you're just tired of being on the road or whatever, you know, it takes you away from everything when you're out there and, and you're enjoying what, what nature brings and everything like it's really something special. And I, and I hope that more, more people just dive into that and, realize how important that is because it is especially when you're in such a busy environment you know it uh brings a lot of peace to you and when you do meet another songwriter artist band member whatever that that does that you kind of understand that you're like all right this is a guy that knows how to unplug and how to take those experiences and and even sometimes use them like i'm not as good as writing when it comes to songwriting and everything writing about that aspect or even just more like I'd like to get better at writing about those experiences of hunting or whatever, not in like a hokey way, but just like a very like poetic way. And some songwriters, like I mentioned John Bauman earlier, like he's great at that, like Texas landscapes and, and everything like that. And he's a guy that also, you know, is familiar with the outdoors and everything. Those guys know how to translate that, that feeling into their poet, you know, poetic abilities to write that into lyrics or something like that. Yeah, it's not a, not, it's not an easy thing to write uh, yeah. <clears throat> a feeling that is a visceral feeling at the time of when it's going on. Mm-hmm. Right? Like y- it's hard to uh, write a song about what it's bringing it down to the basics of walking behind a dog with a shotgun and, yeah. you know, without just saying that, cause you, you're trying to, to elaborate on it. Right. And make yeah. it compelling without just saying I'm walking behind a dog with a shotgun, but yeah. this is how it well, makes I me wrote feel. That song it's, last week. I'm walking <laughs> behind a dog. And this is why uh, Josh is not on Spotify. <laughs> so here's the thing. You're 25, man. You got a, so many, evolutions of your riding ahead of you I yeah mean, you'll you'll hit that point i'm excited i want to be guys like robert earl you know or, or james mcmurtry or guys like that 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 take those kind of aspects into their songwriting you know and i think that just takes craft and that's what i hope to continue to work on you have know? you have you gone into the outdoors with any of the people that you've been on the road with have you, have you not really it's always been more of like family members or people i grew up with but it'd be cool 
I think I'd we should to, do it here. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd we should explore that. You and another. Musician. And we just start hitting everybody up and just yeah, bring, an bring them all you know over what? here. I talked to to Tanner. Usure. Tanner Usure. Yeah. 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 Or is it Ursray? Ursray. Ursray. Something like that. Yeah. Usure. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to him, and you guys should get together. I, I know we need to link up. The only couple times we've met, it's it's been like a uh, like a mutual. Like, oh, I'm a big fan of yours, and him being, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. So that's always really cool. I'm glad you linked up with him because he's a solid guy, and uh, his music is killer. Yeah, that sure. was a pretty cool moment, actually, when he was like, oh, I know Mason. And then I yeah. was there with your friend um, from high school. Yeah, Sierra. Who Sierra. Is, oh, you uh, went to school with Sierra. Yeah, yeah. he was married dating. Mason that's why I asked, Mason that's why Mateen, I asked yeah. you, yeah, if yeah. you were in that area, if you knew, yeah. uh, like, who were your friends at Duck Yeah, yeah so Mason. we went to high yeah. school together. Okay. Uh, Sierra and I did. His, his girlfriend, or she's great. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear from her for a while, I feel like, because I was just on the road and everything. And then... You know, next thing I know, she's dating this this uh, this guy down there in um, Rockport. You know, that's doing fishing guiding and duck hunting guiding and stuff like that. I'm like, dang, you know, it, you know, hit me up, let me know yeah. <laughs> when you, he has. You, a, I, we had asked so you too. Have you been, have you been duck hunting yet? Yeah. Or have you been duck hunting before? And you said no, and I was like, yeah, not yet. You know. Like, yeah. It's, gonna, see, it's all coming. It's and then come this to past fruition. week, or what was it two weeks ago? Whatever. I see Josh down there. I see yeah. Tanner down there, and I'm yeah. like, what the hell's going on, man? So what was so on. funny is I'm standing next to Sierra and Mason, and Sierra knew that you knew Tanner mm -hmm. and she's talking to somebody standing next to me. She's like, yeah, my friend Mason lively was like, Hey, you know, you're there with Tanner. And then I'm like, wait a minute, you know, Mason. And then, so we, and then that's when I sent you that photo of Sierra. I was like, right. I, I it's know, a small world, man. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Yeah. Texas so is, Texas is a small country. Such a small country. It is a small country. Isn't but it? It's the greatest. The country. Republic of Texas <laughs> is such world. a small country. <laughs> the United States is lucky to have us next to them. It's true. We're here for you when you guys need bailing out. Yeah. Mason, man, this is just awesome getting to hang with you, talk with you. It's, it's been amazing. such a treat. Yeah, it really is. And we got a little further to go here, but we switched our beverage midstream. We switched from the Rusty Nail to Real Spirits, Texas Hill Country's signature select straight malt whiskey distilled by the one and only Davintople. I just want tell us a little bit about this spirit, man. Yeah, so this was uh, this is actually rare now. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to find this. So this is actually a combination of three different whiskeys that we make over at Real Ale Brewing Company, Real Spirits Distilling Company. First whiskey is uh, Devil's Backbone, the real heavy uh, Scotch Ale, which is made from 100% malted barley, and a whiskey that's finished off in a port barrel finished uh, whiskey. So this is a combination of three different whiskeys that are pulled together in a combination that complement each other. And so that port barrel whiskey is just going to add a little bit of that sweet characteristic to it, but still keep it very uh, complex with those other two whiskeys that were created for it. This was created for the Texas Trailblazers, uh, the Texas Whiskey Trail. Again, it's just kind of one of those rare things that put together. What inspired you? Many years ago. What inspired you for this? What inspired me for this was, you know, there's a lot of whiskeys out there that tout a port finished whiskey, right? And those whiskeys are typically one whiskey that is then finished in a port barrel and then blended together all, you know, every barrel is blended together. My, you know, inspiration for this was creating something that had those sweet characteristics and also had characteristics from other 
types of whiskey that, but, you know, creating just a balance. It's not like, it's not monodimensional. It's, it's not, it's right. It's layered. Exactly. And the only way that you can achieve that is by taking several different components and putting them together in a ratio. Yeah. Uh, you can't just, whatever you, comes out of the barrel comes out of the barrel, right? Did you just mix these, like, just like, damn, a little of this, a little of that? Yeah, yeah, a little, kind of, kind of, really? kind of, but, uh, yeah, I mean. Then you uh, just, like. But then you, yeah, then you you time. taste it. You taste every every iteration, um, and it's funny because we actually did a panel uh, with the Texas Whiskey Trail. We brought them all together, and we had them all put these three components together. It was a great event that we put together where we had five different tables put together these same three different whiskeys in a ratio that you know they felt uh, was right or that they felt was well balanced, and then we all uh, voted on. What which one was winning? You know which one was going to take over the actual blend. But these are all your whiskeys. These are all my whiskeys, right? Okay. So all three of these whiskeys were given to five different tables, five different groups of people. Are these all distillers. No, these were all people from the Texas Whiskey Trail. This is something that you're going to be able to experience some an exclusive experience that you'll get through the Texas Whiskey Trail, uh, which you can look up online, TexasWhiskey.com join and you'll get to experience these but this is one of those experiences so we had about 25 people so we separated them to five different tables they took all three components made their own blend of these three different whiskeys and then we voted blind vote blind tasting as to who was the the best one and lo and behold it was a it was the one that I had created. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Did it end where you thought it would? I, I mean, it was... It, so it, is this crowdsourced really? I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's it's not exactly crowdsourced. It's, it was kind of more or less just to, you know, show people how hard it is to create balance. And it's the same thing with music. It's the same thing with art, painting. Um, life. 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 It, it really is. It, it seems it looks easy. Uh, until you until you do it on the spur, you know. Obviously, I've had experience in creating spirits and and blends and things like that, and so it's not just something that anybody can come in and just make, right? I've asked, yeah. you know, you how how do you write music? It's it's uh, it's through experience. It's through mentorship. It's through um, inspiration. Yeah, it's yeah. through inspiration. And Is there coffee in here, by the way? There's no coffee in there. I get like this coffee. Now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get that too. Yeah, you'll you'll get coffee. Uh, and and that's the thing is people like this port wine finished whiskey, and so they would end up heavy handing it in the in their blend. Um, and the one that came very close was actually the one that came, uh, was very little on the. Uh, on the port finished whiskey, but uh, what ended up winning it over was, uh, I, I mean, I'll just, I mean, we, you can't get this whiskey anymore anyway, so I'll just tell you, it, this is, it away. this is a sure one, yeah, it's 1% uh, of the total blend was that port finished. It's that, it's it that out, it's that outlier that influences the overall. Right, and it's again true to life. That is a statement. It's that outlier. It's that outlier that influences the overall. And if you if there's if there's too much, yeah, if there's too much of something (laughs) that that makes um, that makes you know this is obviously a different spirit or a different taste or a different color. 
it's that outlier that you've never seen before that you don't need much. You just need a touch of whatever it is, whether it be um, influence from, you know, your outdoors experience from your uh, musical experience. But it's, it's that one that's really loud that you just need a little bit of to create something that's, you know, well-balanced and, and beautiful. And so that's what the uh, straight malt Texas whiskey trails, straight malt whiskey is. Sometimes I feel like that. Yeah. The person who's a little too much. for Well, that's why we just need 1% of you. <laughs> just 1%. But, so let's, uh, Mason, that's a beautiful song that you shared with us. Thanks, man. It's just, it, it moved me a lot. I want to talk that. about, you're in the studio now? Yes. Right? Yeah, we, we just started time. pre-production for a new album. We're going in to officially record in a couple weeks now. I'm, I'm more excited about this album than I have been for any other recording process because we're doing it all here in Austin, and it's with a producer named Brian Douglas Phillips, who is incredible. He's worked with he's produced records by like Rob Baird just a bunch of other guys that just fall into this like very much like country slash Americana scene that I really think that these songs belong in and I as soon as I started I started writing with this this guy Brian and as soon as we wrote a couple songs I was like oh this is the guy he is one of those guys that is like a virtuoso he can write play record produce everything and yeah, I'm super excited to get in, and I have all the songs for it between him and a, a bunch of other um, guys I've written with, and yeah, I'm just super excited to have this album come to life. What number album for you? Three, technically. Yeah, I. Technically. It's like outside of technically, how many? Well, no, and tell us more. About I did two full albums, and then I did like three singles. And okay. this next album is going to be like a full album again. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm done with trying to figure out how people digest music. You know, that's one of, honestly the biggest challenge for artists right now is trying to figure out how people digest music and new music because some people, it's really kind of a 50-50 split. Some people love the whole like putting out a single every two months or three months or whatever. And some people love the full album digging into an eight to 15 song album. I like albums, but at the same time I say that with Ernest because I like albums by guys that I will be able to take time and sit down or drive around with a whole album versus guys that will put out a single and be like, all right, I like this guy kind of, you know, I'll listen to his single and, and sometimes I'll really like it. Sometimes I'll be like, you know, I'll wait till he puts out something else that I feel like I like. So even myself as a consumer of music and as an artist, I, I can't even differentiate what the difference is between like what I like more out of an artist. A whole album, a bunch of songs to really dive into versus singles. It's just where we're at right now. It's not the age of putting out just an album anymore. It's figuring out how to navigate the whole streaming thing, the whole TikTok thing, whatever populates a song or a, a collection of songs, you it's know, totally so. different now. Like when you, when yeah. you were, before when an album came out, 
You got an album, you got a vinyl record, and you listen to the whole thing all the way through, and you flipped it over and listened to the whole thing all the way through on the other side, and it's it's pretty interesting. I don't think about that a lot, but as you were saying that, I'm reflecting back to, like, the Beatles' Abbey Road. Yeah. Like, maybe the White Album. Which I have on vinyl, Abbey Road, yeah. <laughs> it's and it's just, a cohesive, like, it's hard to listen to just one song. Yeah. You that have to album. listen to the whole thing. You do. Yeah. It's like a... It's all one stitched together. There's Sergeant Pepper's. Right. Yeah. All right. one stitched together experience. Pink Floyd, The Wall. You know, those and we talk about Sound and Fury, Sturgill Hill. Yeah. You yeah. have yeah. to listen yeah. to the all, whole thing. All and those together. are the go-to, like, albums. And I have everything, when it comes to vinyl, like, I have everything from Abbey Road to Meta Modern Sounds by Sturgill. Sure. Like, those are, like, the ones that I will go out and get on vinyl or whatever. But... Now, you know, with Spotify and everything being the number one way to consume music, it's just a little confusing as to how artists are supposed to present their music, you know, album versus singles versus EPs. So right now it's just kind of a free for all as far as what the artist wants to do with their music. You know, if you have enough songs to put out an album, I say do that or I say roll out which has been successful for a lot of artists roll out single by single maybe like three or four songs and then put out the whole album but i don't know and nobody knows really well, that's the people truth stitch together their own albums yeah i mean it's like right. it used to be like creating mixtape was a really complicated thing yeah like in my day like making a mixtape that's like yeah and i and i talked to people them. in nashville who are legit like in the business quote unquote of you know, whether they work for a record company or whatever, and they don't even know. Yeah. They don't know what's going to take off for a certain artist because you listen to an artist like Zach Bryan, who I'm a fan of as well, who will put out multiple songs in a, a short amount of time versus an artist that will put out very few songs in that same amount of time. And there's just no secret ingredient anymore. And it's kind of cool at the same time because you just never know what's going to take off. But at the same time, as an artist, it's very difficult to navigate and it's, it's a little bit of a challenge, you know, it's social media, it's word of mouth. It's a little bit of everything that plays into how you're presenting your music, you know? So this new album, what's inspiring you in this album? What's the driver right now? A lot of it is just, I guess as an artist, it's, doing what I can to craft the best songs I can with my peers because I love co-writing. I love writing with other songwriters, whether it's guys in Nashville or it's guys here in Texas. It doesn't matter. Like I'm a fan of writers from both spaces in music. Like I'll write with anyone at the same time. It's trying to figure out what to do with that music and how you kind of roll it out or how you select which songs are going to be on the album and everything like that. What's your writing process look like? Your creative process? I wish I was still as good. Honestly, I was better at writing by myself at 20 than I am now at 25. <laughs> and um, it's a blessing and a curse because now I'm, I really enjoy meeting up with writers who have either had solid like hits with other artists or just hits on their own. And I love writing with them. I love co-writing. I love diving into other songwriters aspects of 
what they believe really crafts the song and how I can attribute my melodies or my lyrics to, or just something as simple as my hook lines to that. So it's a little bit all over the place right now. I hope to kind of hone it in, but right now I, I just like going into the room with another, just one other solid writer and coming up with something great. And I think that's kind of how it's been lately. Do you think that's maybe because you're deeper in a community now? Yeah. I mean, I've been super blessed to meet so many great songwriters and have so many other, whether it's artists or songwriters, um, use word of mouth to introduce me to other, other very talented songwriters and artists. And that just helps a lot because then that pairs you up with other amazing writing processes in a room from that other person, you know, 15 year old Mason, 25 year old Mason. Yeah. What would you look back and say to somebody who was in your shoes at that point in time? Man, I'd tell that 15-year-old Mason that you're going to experience a lot of stuff that you had dreamed about. You really are. And don't take that for granted. At the same time, you got to be patient because, you know, they they call it a 10-year overnight success for a reason because it's it, it takes a while to really hone your crowd and, and, and what it takes to really gain that level of not even satisfactory in what you're doing because I talked to a lot of people who are at that level that are even like, this isn't what I expected, yeah. you know? So I don't really know what it is at this point. I think it's just being content. And that's what I've gotten a lot better at is being like, Hey, I'm using gratitude to really understand that I'm doing things that when I first started this whole expedition, like I would have loved to do. And I'm here, man. I, I, I'm enjoying being at Spoke Hollow Outfitters right now and talking to you guys about what I do. I mean, because something as, as simple as that or even just as complex as that is super important to me. And, and I enjoy it. Mason, thanks for being on the Bunkhouse podcast. Thanks for being our first person on the Bunkhouse Thank you for podcast. having me, man. You want to pick a song from any time period, any song, and just play us out? Yeah, man. Let's do okay. it. I'm going to tune up. I don't know how. I used to know a guy by the name. I'm getting tuned up. I, yeah, that's. I knew a guy named Wade. <laughs> and he lives down <laughs> the road from the way. ranch. Yeah. And, and Wade. Wade's like one of those special guys. From you, you picked the right Houston. term. And, he, and he, when I went down to talk to Wade, Wade's wife's name is Charlene. Wade and Charlene. And he told me the story one time. I was like, Josh, let me tell you something. Me and Charlene were out there in Lukenbach, Texas, and Charlene was getting tuned up. And I was like, man. Different, different kind of tuned yeah, up, obviously. Kind of tuned up. She, wasn't, tuned she up. wasn't about to play a song. I mean, if you go too far, you get tuned down. You get tuned up and then tuned down. <laughs> Lukenbach, Texas, man, that is, that's such a place, honestly. Uh, it is a very special place. Very special place. Lukenbach, Texas. I'm going to play another new one if that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. Get myself some Desert Burrow caged. Ooh. I'm riding it out on that one. This is my nighttime. I'm a ride or die. The night capper. 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 
He says he's coming home late the third time this week. Seems like these days he's always got some place to be. See, blow out your candles and he ramp up his place. And you pour yourself a tall glass of Cabernet. You stare at the TV. Do you drift off to sleep? You say it's a lie, but it sure seems like a lonesome to me. You say it's all that you know And someday he'll change And you never dream Of throwing those years all away You say I don't know him the way But I say that that's just another excuse From man who just ain't the man That you need him to be You say it's love But it sure seems like lonesome to me Maybe you still want to hold out and hold for the best. But if you want someone who knows what he's got, I'll give you my heart if you give me a shot. I know yours is broken, but it don't have to be. You say it's a love, but it sure seems like a lonesome to me. You say it's a love. But it sure seems like lonesome to me.